and this was one of the best years of my life. I don't know, because it's a music podcast, so I didn't, I didn't go that far. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I figured, you know, if it goes well, then that's because of me. If it goes bad, that's because of you guys. So I'm not too worried. <laughs> <laughs> you can bend behind the nut. You were just thinking of Babs Bunny. <laughs> this is a hot bunny, man. Bunnies could be hot. Club banger. Blam jam. Dude, you can't judge someone's personal life on their music, otherwise you wouldn't like Kanye. And Kanye's awesome. His music is awesome. He sucks. And now, see, I was going to the ball game, my buddy Tom. We couldn't play Zigzag Wiggle Wham by the new Ball J Boys. So close. <laughs> Well, welcome to the Bass and Triple Podcast. My name is Neil. And guess what? I'm Steve. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, if you haven't cut off yet, go back and check out our most recent podcast where we talked about the yeah, yeah, yeahs and some of Karen O's overall outstanding orchestrations. That's a lot of O's in Karen's name. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly. I, did I say? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, after you do that, then uh, come back and listen to this episode where we talk about one of my all-time super depressing favorites, Radiohead. <laughs> yeah, a little later in this episode, we'll talk about the sucky song of the day, which, what, what will it do to us, Steve? It's going to get stuck in your head, guaranteed. As soon as we start talking about it, there's no way that you can't get it out of your head for the rest of the week. So, Steve, for people who listen to this podcast for the first time, what should they do? They should subscribe to all the things. Um, we're constantly adding new content. Uh, so check us out on Spotify, check us out on Apple Podcasts, uh, and once in a while you can check out Facebook too. We have a page there for Bass and Treble. Fantastic. Well, let's see. So what exactly is a Radiohead? Is that, is that part of a radio? Radiohead is a song by the Talking Heads, actually. That's where oh, it all started. I could totally see this band being influenced by the Talking Heads. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> so Radiohead, Steve. I mean, you start with Tom York. He's the Alpha and Omega. I think he wasn't he on a few <laughs> album covers too, like out front and center. Anyways, he's the vocalist, guitarist, pianist, keyboardist. You'll notice in this band that um, a lot of multi-talented people. Yeah, a little. I think everybody does a little bit of everything. There's no one dude that does one thing. Because you also got the Greenwood brothers. You got Johnny and Colin Greenwood. Greenwood. Uh, Johnny you plays. Share a bank account with a last name like that. What's that? <laughs> You think they share a bank account with a last name like that? The Greenwood Brothers? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Johnny plays guitar and the keyboards and some other instruments. Uh, Colin plays the bass, and that might be his only instrument. Yeah, see, because the bass player owns above all. He, can, he, he lives alone. He runs um, the show. Most important part of the rhythm is the bass. And then you got Ed O'Brien, which also plays guitar. He's the... Uh, the background, you know, rhythm guitar. He does a little bit of uh, cool work, though, with harmonics and stuff. And um, a great singer. He's actually, uh, mm-hmm. when you're not hearing Tom York squeal, he's the guy singing. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we round out the members of Radiohead with Philip Selway, the, the drummer, overall percussionist. Philip Selway in, in, invent the piano? No, I'm kidding. That's an interesting <laughs> last name. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, their origins, they're from, they're from Oxfordshire. That's right. Yeah, that's somewhere in the UK, right? Y- yeah. Um, it's funny because in the show notes, it doesn't say the country. It says it like Oxfordshire is, is its own. It's, it's an <laughs> it Addington. 
Abdington is the town in Oxford, Oxfordshire, which is the bigger town in the UK. You think you could live somewhere where the addresses could be any longer? Like, you know, go look at a Welsh street name. You, you, you Britoners have issues. Anyways, yeah. they started in 1985, <laughs> Steve, the year before I was born. Yeah, they are older than you are. Like, yeah. the band is older. Yeah, but they're still younger than the Red Hot Chili Peppers. True. Yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let me just shoot a reminder out. Um, once in a while, we'll throw up some playlists up on Spotify. So go check that stuff out. Uh, we'll put together some of Radiohead's best cuts, and maybe we'll throw some talking heads in there, too. Just Such a depressing band, Steve. Great choice of words. Best yeah. cuts. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys started in 1985, but they didn't have their first single until 1992 and their first album until 1993. So, I mean, that's the dream story for any aspiring band. You can just sit around and do jack shit for eight years and become Radiohead. Well, the- <laughs> there is a lot that happened in between. So all the guys went to school together with Tom and Colin in the same year, Ed and Philip a year older, and Johnny was two years below. So it's like the like a pack, these guys. You know, they sound like uh, you know, Lost Boys or something. Very cool. <laughs> yep. So right, back in eighty five, they weren't even Radiohead yet. They were called On a Friday. Cool. I kinda like that band name. Uh, it, it can be really confusing. I'm going to see On a Friday on Thursday night. It's like, like having a band named Free Beer. It'll get people there, but They'll be disappointed. <laughs> or it might just be the wrong night. Who knows? Um, yeah. They got the name on a Friday because they used to rehearse in the, in the school's music room. Like, these guys are just like school buddies who just wanted to get, to the, get together and play. Sound like they were doing yeah. drugs in high school, too, if that's how they decided to be on a name. But I'll give yeah. them credit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, every Friday afternoon on a Friday, Sounds on like a fun. Friday, would rehearse. And uh, they didn't even play instruments at the time they just said hey let's form a band we're gonna need a guitarist we're gonna need a drummer we're gonna need a bassist and they all just kind of picked out their instruments based on what they needed and uh they even had a saxophone for a little while but like an actual like saxophone like dave matthews level guy who just stuck around played sax that's awesome as opposed to what a fake saxophone yeah, I mean, sometimes you just come and go. Saxophones are like the vagabonds of the rock band world. They just <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, actually, it was cool back in the 80s. For Don't ask me why, but I was listening to Debbie Gibson Phil yesterday. Collins. Okay, yeah, that's probably better than the Debbie Gibson reference. But yeah. back, in this, back in the 80s, they had saxophone solos. So, I mean, it was cool. Oh, hell yeah, man. Um, Careless Whisper? Yeah, I'm actually thinking of, uh, I'm going to bring them up again, that Holland Oates song. I, I, I can't go for that. That has a whole uh, sax solo in it. Yeah. When are we cool just going to do day? an episode on Hall & Oates? Why don't we just like knock that out? Yeah, we're going to keep this in the podcast because I think the next band is Hall & Oates. For first time ever, we're just going to call out the band before the episode. All right. We'll see. So, on the strength of an early demo, on a Friday, they were offered a record deal by Island Records. Yeah, that's not a small record label. Like Island Records is pretty no, significant. it's a pretty legit uh, record label, but the members decided they were not ready and wanted to go to university first. It explains the big gap between 85 and 1992. They're like, oh, we could get a record deal right now. But instead, they're like, nah, let's go to school first, and then we'll figure it out. Well, after uni in 1991, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) After they went to college. Yeah, let's not call uni ever again. On a Friday, regrouped, and all started living together in Oxford and continued to play some shows. They kind of Chris Hufford and Bryce Edge who signed them to be their manager. Um, yeah, they've been with them today. Like, they've never left. That's a pretty cool job if you could be a band manager that long. 
I mean, it's rare to begin with that you get all five band members from the 80s who are still playing together today. Like, no, nobody swapped out. They didn't, like, replace anybody with anything. And even their managers, too. They've been with them from the start, which is kind of cool. Hell yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't until 91 where, on a Friday, got signed with EMI Wow. Uh, EMI Records. Interesting. And uh, right off the bat, they had a six-album recording contract. That doesn't also doesn't happen every day. What party were they together in with that record label to be like, these guys are awesome? Well, think about it, though. I think it's interesting. They, they kind of remind me a little bit of Pink Floyd. Like, those guys all went to art university, and they were super studying on art and music and studies. Like, it's kind of neat. And they, they were British. And they were very, very British. So, you know, that gives me a whole new appreciation for these guys, actually. Yeah. Um, EMI just only had one request. They're like, all right, this band name on a Friday is just not going to cut it. On a Friday is what people do like when they want to, you know, eat ice cream with their kids or, you know, (laughs) fly a kite. (laughs) It's not what they want to put on the record player. So it was actually EMI's request to change their name. And they went with the Talking Heads song Radiohead from their album True Stories, which came out in 86. Nice. Nice. So, Steve, why don't you go over all the, you know, different pieces of art that this band put put out there? Because they're still a band, right? They're still around today. Yeah, their album, their most recent album only came out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, since their first album in 93, they put out nine studio albums, one live album, four compilation albums, one remix album, nine video albums, six EPs, 33 singles, and 48 videos. That's insane. <laughs> That's a lot of work, man. That's These guys were feeding a lot of mouths with all that work. So Pablo Honey was their first album in 1993 and um, arguably has their most famous song. That is crazy. Um, talk about cashing in. Well, EMI knew they were onto something good. They're like, hey, guys, we want to sign you. We want to hold on to you for six albums, all because you have this one song called Creep. And it's also probably a candidate for suckiest karaoke song of all time because people uh, love yes. to blow this song in karaoke. It gives me tingles down my spine just thinking about it. <laughs> karaoke is not the best place for depressing songs. Who wrote Creep? Because Didn't somebody else write that song? Right, so Radiohead wrote it with the help of Albert Hammond. Yeah, I, I know, I know that name. Isn't he from um, what band is he from? The Strokes. the Strokes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, but you're wrong. That's Albert Hammond Jr. It's his father who actually worked with Radiohead. Plot twist. Yeah. No kidding. Seriously. So that runs in the family. Yeah, I was gonna say this was eighty. This was eighty something. I mean, that Alfred Hammond guy was. A little older than me when I was when I was a teenager, so he would have been in the womb, or super young. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah. "Creep" is actually a fantastic song, um, start to finish, and uh, also a song that everybody covers wrong because the second guitarist on it in the background is playing the chords super fast, like, and you can't do that if you're just one guitar player. You have to have a guy like literally standing over there doing it, and that's the thing with this band, and that's why that song is so powerful. Because it shows what all their work would be going for, which is they love layering stuff, man. They they create soundscapes almost, like rock soundscapes. That's like their game. And that's where the Pink Floyd reference comes in. I yeah. mean, they, they would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But that's not the only good song on here. Like, it feels like they, they came out a lot less depressing than they ended up. Like, this song, this album actually rocks. 
Like when I want to get pumped up, I'll, I'll play Pablo Honey, and uh, it's got anyone can play guitar, which is like kind of an uplifting yeah, song. It's, cool it's song. Uh, pretty pretty cool there. It's got Stop Whispering, which is one of those songs that starts out pretty mellow and it builds and builds and builds until it's uh, till they start shouting. Steve, does the public know about that Careless Whispers video by Sexy Saxman Saxophone that you really love? Oh, yeah, Sergey the Sexy Saxman. <laughs> that just reminded me when you said stop whispering. I'm like, hmm. whispering is something interesting. You know, one thing I will say right off the bat, I'm just going just gonna to put it out there, is that I know so many of their songs and have no idea what they're called. Like, right. they, they kind of suck at making song titles. Creep with good, but some of these have nothing <laughs> to do with the song. They just sound great. And you're right, this album is good to have in the background. I have this album all the time. I'll just play it start to finish. But I just don't remember the song names because they're just, like I said, it just kind of like... It has this cool groove to it, and I think it is interesting you say that because the problem is that when you have a band that's super like um has you know orchestration like they do, it makes sense that eventually get more depressing. I mean, speak of the Pink Floyd reference, <laughs> they stopped after the what the wall or like r- right after the wall, all the albums are about his dad dying. Like I think eventually you just it, it goes downhill, <laughs> it gets right. pretty deep pretty well, fast. Yeah, to that point, I think the difference is, you know, we talk about a lot of music on here where there are really good storytellers. A lot of people can write lyrics and, you know, put images in your head and it's a story. These guys are so abstract and out there that you can listen to the songs and you kind of just end up paying attention to the music because you can't even tell what they're talking about. <laughs> like, it's so artistic and out there that, you know, it, it kind of blends together. Well, then after that album, the next album, Steve, um, is The Benz and probably nominated for the weirdest album cover. Isn't that the one with that weird like head thing where it's like a face <laughs> melting back? Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. Like a creepy dude. I think, I think some people forget that when these guys were out, especially around 95, people went to CD stores. Like I'd go to Sam Ash, I'd go to Camelot, and a big part of buying yeah. a CD is that had to look, it had to look cool. You had to like feel like when you were taking it out, look cool. There's plenty of albums that got sold just because of cool labels, and I feel like Radiohead always had good art. It always was on point. And yeah, there's always a story behind it. There's always a reason for it. Um, and this one came out, I think, with the Bends was the first single on this one, and kind of yeah solidified them as more than just a one hit wonder. So wait a second. So this 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 song right here, what is it? What what is that referred to? Fake plastic trees? What the heck is that about? Well, yeah, it's about being fake, basically. Oh, um, gotcha. Yeah, it's talking about you know how everything is superficial and you can't trust or believe anything. But what's cool is that Tom actually recorded it after he saw Jeff Buckley play in London. I love Jeff Buckley, man. Yeah, Jeff Buckley's also on on depressing mode, but still very good guitar yeah. player singer. It, we lost him way too soon. He was a good singer. So, yeah, after he saw he was like John Mayer without the blues. That's what he reminds me of. Ooh. Jeff Buckley. Yeah, he's got the guitar chops, and yeah, he can knock it out. Yeah, and he was coming around when the movie Crow was coming out, so everybody was into that you know cool Brandon Lee look. <laughs> right. <laughs> So after Tom saw Jeff Buckley play in London, he rushed back to the studio. He did two takes of this song, and then he broke down in tears. Like, he got all emotional, and he's like, man, this is terrible. Turns out to be one of their best tracks. 
<laughs> that's so funny that that happens that way. You know, it, it's interesting you say that because I feel like for a band that was called on a Friday, they love to rehearse. There's a point in every band where during rehearsal, you've like just had it with each other. You hate each other. And that's usually when you get the best thing out. You're like, oh, we're, right. what are we doing all night? Because we start taking it seriously. So it's kind of crazy that he wrote that and, and broke down just emotionally because of it. That's pretty awesome, man. It's a pretty cool story. I mean, all the best music comes from either drugs or emotions. So yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> uh, what's the uh, yeah? So what other songs on this album did you like, Steve? It's high and dry. I like a lot. Don't leave me high. That's a really right. nice song. This might actually be my favorite album from them. Like the first half is rock and roll. It's it, 90s alternative. But then the second half starts to slow down. That's where you start feeling the real depressing radio had come out. You sure you want to call this your favorite album already, Steve? Because, man, I tell you what, this was a great album that further cemented that six record contract. But they're interesting because they the albums and their hit songs, almost all the songs kind of work around them in a way. Like they're very good at conceptualizing the theme of a, of a record. Um, and mm -hmm. the bands definitely had that feel start to finish. Like all these songs, like, um, um, my iron lung is a good, good one too. It's like an odd, it's like a really odd rhythm pattern to it. But, mm -hmm. um, this album definitely the high and dry to fake plastic trees, like that back to back is so beautiful because high and dry sets you up to feel like, uh, you know, really sad and hopeless. And then the next one just crushes you. <laughs> funny you say that because because after this they came out with okay computer so my favorite memory of okay computer is uh during a hurricane back when i was living down in florida the power went out all i had was like a battery powered cd player and this was the album i put on repeat for like five hours during a hurricane and it was the perfect soundtrack to the howling winds outside and just like it was exactly what i remember every time i listen it brings me back to this album that's sick man that there's so many good songs on this and this is another album that had a really cool cover um all these like the, the this album and the one before and the one that we're going to talk after but this is my favorite radiohead song of all time paranoid android just hands down not only it, a it's great not like song anything else you've ever heard a great music video remember the animated oh, music the, video for it right it's crazy man it looked like an anti-drug psa <laughs> <laughs> What I like about this song is that there's no chorus. It's one of those songs that goes from, you know, verse to verse to verse, kind of like Stairway to Heaven or Bohemian Rhapsody. This song is up there with those classics. Or that it has an awesome bass solo in it. Like, you can you not discount the fact that right. they wrote a bass solo? <laughs> Just think about this. This is 1997. All the dinosaurs are dead. We control the machines. The electronic music will take over. And here these guys are going like, yeah, let's just throw in a really cool bass solo. Dude, every bass player, rock bass player on earth will tell you that the bass in this song is wild. It goes up and down the fretboard. Like he's all over the place. Like he obviously had a big part of writing this song, I would imagine. Um, just because it kind of drives the entire song. But um, yeah, it has different parts and. You're right. It has no chorus. It's just verses. I just realized that. All right. So now that we're talking about it, maybe OK Computer and The Benz tie for my top two yeah, albums. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The Benz is great as a theme, but man, they're like Exit Music, that's a great song. The Exit Music for a film, 
that's a cool right. cool track to have on um again it's some, some good and up and down it starts super low it kind of has a weird kind of like a orchestral vibe to it um i think this album is when they really started to do stuff with like the sound where they can make it sound like a billion instruments and the thing is like if you ever see radiohead live like on youtube just look up radiohead live they sound exactly like this live like it's ridiculous like how they they're able to pull it out in real time yeah like, that shit is yeah. not easy <laughs> yep and it's not just your favorite album. Apparently, it's the UK's favorite album. This is the first time they hit number one. Wow, no kidding. Uh, it's the first in a long string of number one albums in the UK for them. Yeah, and then you've got Karma Police. What do you think of that song, Steve? Again, uh, just a weird, creepy video where, you know, you're in a car and you're chasing down a guy. What does he say? Does he say at the end of the line, when you mess with us or when you mess around? What does he say? Or he's like... This is what you get when you mess. I never know what he says. Like when you mess with us. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Tom York, man, he I, I think they got the record deal because how uh, he has a really Tom York really has a specific timbre to his voice that is like right. really hard to pull off. Um, but uh, but yeah, this this album's pretty slick with with those tracks on it. And I subterranean homesick alien. I never I don't recall that song, but. Is it is it like a, a Bob Dylan cover? <laughs> <laughs> you would think. It's uh it's yeah, again, one of the best songs on here. This is what you get. This is what you get. This is what you get when you mess with us. So, Steve, why don't you tell us about the next album? All right. So they went from OK Computer to Kid A, and this was the first album to hit number one in the U.S., and it hit number one in the U.K. again, of wow. course. And um, starts out with a great track, Everything in Its Right, in its right it's Place. It's a great song. Um, yeah, it kind of builds and builds and kind of evokes that emotion. Yeah, for sure. And then... Um... I was going to say it was my favorite song, but it's probably my second favorite song, Idiotech. Um, uh, that yeah. song pumps me up every time. Like, if I ever need to take my <laughs> mind off something, I put on Idiotech. It just gets me driving in a different direction. Um, it's actually nice. one of the... F it's What's weird is that there's not a lot of instrumentation to it, right? It's kind of electronic. But to it's one of those moments where you realize Tom York doesn't actually have a nice voice. Because <laughs> well, you hear all the <laughs> harmonies and stuff that he's doing in it. And um, it's pretty slick. Nice. It's an environmental song too. I don't know if uh, if you knew that, Steve, but when you know the whole the ice age is coming, the ice age is coming. Let me hear both sides. That's all about global warming, uh, climate change. Ice age coming, ice age coming. I remember reading that back in the day. I'm like, wow, that's pretty slick. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And then what's cool about the end of this album too is uh, after the last song, motion picture soundtrack. There's a hidden track that lasts about a minute, and then it goes on for another minute and a half of just silence. Like, the album does not end at the last song. It just carries on. Like, let's just use up some extra space at the end of a disc. Steve, so do you know how much I know you love hidden tracks on records? Yeah, I don't know why. What's so cool about it? But, like, yeah, it's like a special... What was that 311 record where you can like play the first track back four minutes and it played a whole nother song on CD? Oh, that was Transistor, wasn't it? It was. If we ever do that band, that's like the coolest thing because I remember you showed it to me. They're like, <laughs> do you know this? I'm like, no, like nobody knows that. Only you, like four other people. Yeah, that's pretty that crazy. Random stuff happens. 
And, and that was the thing to do back in the 90s. Like, um, what, Green Day had their hidden track, Alanis Morissette had her hidden track. Like, people were just throwing extra, you know... I think it was just because CDs were so popular. They had all this extra space to play with. So let's throw throw something back there. For sure. And um, I like the National Anthem, too. That song's pretty slick. Yeah, Kid A is a great record. Really cool. Um, these, you know, this record and OK Computer and the Benz really um, starting out out of the gate. Really three fantastic records after their uh, Pablo, after Pablo Honey, which was decent start, but really kind of picked it up. then in 2001 you have amnesiac um i'm not too familiar with this record though there is a couple of songs that i think i know but um i I think this record maybe i I wasn't too familiar with it back then be honest no i think it's because this is one of the albums like you said it just kind of look all kind of blends together like each song doesn't really stand out on its own but as an album it's still pretty good yeah, I remember Hail to the Chief a little bit because I remember 2 plus 2 plus 5 um, being a cool song. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. more concept album stuff. I feel like these guys, um, it, it's tough to just think of their songs as hits because they do have different feels. Like uh, I remember They're There. Um, that song's pretty awesome. Uh, also known mm-hmm. as the Bony King of Nowhere. <laughs> yeah, each of these songs on this album, Hail to the Thief, has like a subtitle to it. There's a, like a double title to each one, which is interesting way to look at it. Going back to what I said earlier, really bad at making up song titles. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But Hail to the Thief finally closed out their record to go with EMI. After Hail to the Thief, they took a break for a few years. Uh-huh. They're like, all right, we're free. We could do whatever we want. And it wasn't until 2007 when they released In Rainbows. They took everyone by surprise by just saying, hey, pay whatever you want. They, they released it on the internet. It was free to download. And you just make a donation if you want. I think that was during the early days of iTunes when, you know, paying for music digitally was still starting to take shape, starting to take form a little bit. These guys just took the whole idea and blew it apart and said, you know what? Here, have some music. It's free. That's kind of nuts, man. Um, yeah, um, I remember that. I just don't remember downloading it because I don't really remember many of the songs on this album either. There are a few ones. Uh, Body Snatchers was a single. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, not so bad. Uh, what's funny, though, actually found out years later, the average fan... Forked over only two dollars and ninety cents. I think that's two dollars and ninety pounds. Right, two pound ninety. Who who in England is playing? You know, like three pounds for a record. What? It's just like the. You know what? You gotta understand that their society's been around a lot longer than ours here in America. So, <laughs> if you want to know what that was like, just watch Peaky Blinders. It'll it'll explain. What's interesting though is that forty percent of people who downloaded actually contributed to it, which is kind of a higher number than I would expect. Yeah, sure. I mean, even if it was like five cents. I mean, what were you paying with in 2007? Your credit card? Or was that done through some kind of vendor? That, that Somebody was making a little money on that. They probably gave all the money to Venmo and they decided to sponsor their t-shirts for the next 
So then you got the King of Limbs in 2011, um, <laughs> which uh, was so after six number one albums in the UK, this album peaked at number seven. Yeah, I remember the King of Limbs. This is a good album. Um, yeah, they started fading a little bit, but there were still some cool tracks on here. It's got Lotus Flower, which you have to check out the video for. It's just Tom York in black and white doing this funky interpretive dance, if you can call it that. Maybe he's just twitching and convulsing. It's hard to tell the difference. Yeah, isn't it a meme? Yeah, they kind of made a, an animated meme out of it. Somebody drew his dancing from this video, and I've seen it around the internet in really odd contexts. People just throw it out there and probably not even knowing that it came from this video. Well, all right, let's do an experiment for two weeks where everyone has a turntable still playing the guitar or drums or whatever. Right. Instead of playing their instruments, let's just play turntables. Like it was, it was really simple <laughs> and they only expected it to take two weeks. Turns out it went on for a lot longer than that. Yeah. He's got to eat. Yeah. So, Steve, let's go over their uh, last album and, and what it did for them. Right. So they came out with a moon-shaped pool in 2016. This brought them back to number one in the UK. You think that offer any confusion? They like they came out with a moon-shaped pool. You think listeners right now are going to turn off and go, wait? They started making pools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So th this song has some connection to a James Bond movie. Actually, not necessarily a, a connection. So while they were recording this album, they were asked to do a James Bond theme. And anyone, anyone who gets to do James Bond is like, you know, drop whatever you're doing. Make this happen. This is awesome. Of course. So in the middle of the album, they kind of put everything on pause, made a James Bond theme. I think it was Spectre that was coming out at the time. Then it turns out they ended up going with Sam Smith instead. Imagine what kind of like let down that was. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're Radiohead. We're like, you know, we constantly put out these number one albums. And then Sam Smith steps in. So you're telling me that they got kicked to the curb for Sam Smith? The yeah. Pray With Me guy? Yeah, I think that's the guy. That guy blows. All right, that's a bummer. Well, you know, can't get everything you want, Tom York. Then they tried going back to finish up the album. And they just lost their momentum. It really kind of screwed things up. They had to get back in the studio. They had to sh shift gears again and um, kind of messed with their mojo a little bit. What movie do you think Maggie Rogers is going to do the soundtrack for? Probably like a Nicholas Sparks movie. She'd probably do really good. It would probably be like decent. You're dropping a lot of names that I don't even know. <laughs> Who's Maggie Sparks? <laughs> That's not even what I said. <laughs> what did you say? Maggie Rogers. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes all the records, Steve, but we're not done yet. Let's talk about the band's side project. So Tom York released his solo album in 2006 called The Eraser. 
Uh, it was actually a really good album. I enjoyed it. It's a nice listen because he kind of breaks it down uh, a little more than when he had the whole group, which is nice. It's a lot more electronic. He plays with a bunch of really cool, funky beats on there and uh, comes out. It definitely doesn't sound like Radiohead, but it's definitely got that Tom York style. You know what it reminds me of? When Frashante had a solo album, it has kind of a similar um, theme to it. Ah, right. Where he went full electronic. Yep. And then Adams for Peace, which is a band with Sunday Flea and Nigel Goodrich, which is the producer. Um, wow, that sounds like an awesome band. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, any band that has Flea in it, it's going to be good off the bat. But with Tom York and, and Nigel Goodrich is awesome. Adams for Peace, the name of the band. You're welcome, Alanis Morissette. <laughs> the band's name came from one of the songs on his first solo album. Adams for Peace was a track on The Eraser. Oh, cool, cool. And then he had another solo album in 2014, right? Tomatoes, Modern Boxes. <laughs> right? That's a tongue twister. Try to uh, say that three times as fast. Tomorrow's Modern Boxes. Tom York, just him and Beck, they always seem like they could be such a great couple. Like, imagine the kids they would make. Uh, they're both weird. You put weird and weird together, you just get, like, weird. <laughs> yeah, but I just think musically they kind of remind me of each other because he's kind of that presence. Like, he's such a big mind, can do it all himself kind of guy. Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, most recently, Tom Muir came out with a solo album just last year in 2019. So he's made three solo albums? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And not just that, but he's also put together a film soundtrack in uh, 2018. He did Suspiria? Steve, do you, do you have you ever seen Suspiria? No, I haven't. Okay, well, don't watch it too late if you want to sleep. It is a creepy movie. And now that I realize he made the music, <laughs> it makes so much sense. <laughs> Well, it kind of goes back to what we've been saying all along. Like, so much of their music is evocative of different emotions. So when you're talking about a soundtrack, that's the best place to have that kind of music. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's awesome. I didn't know that. That's that's fantastic. That movie won a bunch of awards, too. So good on him. All right. Cool. I'll wait till, like, midnight, and then I'll just put it on as I'm laying in bed and drifting off to sleep. Sounds... You'll be fine. You'll probably laugh at it. I feel like you're the kind of guy that watches horror and just thinks it's hilarious. Um... <laughs> but John is the only band member uh, The lead guitarist The only band member to be a classically trained musician Having taken formal viola lessons as a child Sounds like his parents hated him In addition to viola <laughs> and guitar He plays organ, piano, xylophone Glockenspiel, Andes, Mardinot Which is kind of like a theremin a, He plays banjo And he plays harmonica Like this guy is the John Paul Jones of this band Like he, <laughs> he plays everything <laughs> Can you be a classically trained harmonica player? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's an absolute joke. No, you could be a classically trained musician who just figures out how to work a harmonica. I don't. I don't think an orchestra is okay. holding a harmonica. Uh, uh, you know, uh, audition anytime soon. I, like, let's just put it this way, Steve. I don't think there's a first, second, and third chair harmonica. <laughs> okay. Uh, banjo, maybe. Yeah. Well, he's composed for orchestras, including the London Contemporary Orchestra and the BBC Contra Orchestra. Like, this guy's legit. Yeah, that's pretty solid. He did a soundtrack, too, right? What? He's also done some solo work. I've never heard of this movie. Well, actually, he's done a bunch of different soundtracks. Uh first one i think was body song was when he broke out from the band for the first time in 2003 uh but i'm sure you've you've seen there will be blood that movie it came out in 2007 
That's it. Podcast over. This band is officially my favorite movie band. Are you kidding me? I love that movie. No, that's ridiculous. The music in that movie is intense. It won awards. Yeah, in, intense is the word I was going to say. Like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, the movie wouldn't be the same without the music in it. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. So he's he can arrange the violins and everything. That's fantastic. Yep. And that was a, a Paul, Ander- Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And uh, he stuck with him. In 2018, he did another Anderson movie called Phantom Thread uh, and was nominated for an Academy Award for it. Yeah, that got nominated for Best Picture. That's amazing, man. Paul Thomas Anderson has made some of the best movies of the last, you know, 20 years. Like, ridiculously good. Well, Johnny Greenwood's his right-hand man when it comes to soundtracks. That makes a lot of sense. And so, Philip, so the drummer, he's had two solo albums. Familia! Exclamation point. wonder if he's Italian. And Weatherhouse. Familial? And that's it. That's, That's pretty cool. He did appear in the movie Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. As a member of the band, the Weird Sisters, um, along with Johnny Greenwood <laughs> and Paul frontman Jarvis Cocker, so he's got that on his resume. He can put that, he can frame that and put it in his kids' rooms, and they'll be like, "Man, our dad's pretty cool." I mean, not just that, but the Weird Sisters kind of made a pretty popular genre of music. Have you ever heard of wizard rock? No, it sounds like a fetish. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little uh, furryish. If I could be blunt. Yeah, starting with the Weird Sisters, they turned out to be like a bunch of usually garage bands and never really made it past that. But people talking about like, you know, the the magical world of Harry Potter in song, and uh, yeah, these guys were the were where it all began. Hey man, whatever gives you your kicks. Don't let me judge. Yeah. <laughs> so, Steve, why don't you go over all the awards these guys won? Because uh, they, they won a few pretty big awards. Yeah, they also failed to win a lot of awards. <laughs> like, they're they're from the UK. They're British. So the Brit Awards, they have, like, their own award show over there. They're not even... They're not British, Steve. They're terminally British, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, there's no way around it. They are... British to the core. So you'd expect that, you know, the Brit Awards are like the UK's version of the Grammys. They were nominated 17 times. You know how, how often they won? I don't know, a few, couple times? Not even once. What, like, what? what is that self-hate? That's crazy. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, of course, there's a bunch of other good bands that come out of the UK, but Radiohead deserves at least one Brit Award. Man, you think, do they even attend those awards anymore? You start feeling like a bridesmaid. You know, just a never-ending bridesmaid. No, they never have. I mean, you know Tom York does not like to be in the limelight? No, it's because he's allergic to light. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a vampire. That guy's, you could, see his, you could see his blood pressure just by staring at the veins on his face. So, yeah, they got, <laughs> they, they've received three Grammy Awards, which the albums are kind of surprising, Steve. The three albums that won them the Grammys. So the first two aren't right. Okay, computer and kid A, but apparently in rainbows won it in two thousand nine too. All three times they won for the best alternative album. Right, ninety eight, two thousand one, two thousand nine. Although they were nominated twenty times over the years in different categories, the only time they won was best alternative album. Well, you know that old meme that you know if, if a Radiohead song has like. C and G in it, fans are like, oh my God, it's amazing. That's the big meme. <laughs> yeah, out of this world. Yeah, yeah, true Radiohead fans, if you're listening to this, y'all are y'all are some some crackheads for Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> so you ever heard of NME? Yeah, I have. 
I don't know what it stands for, but I've seen it before on like uh, on YouTube for some reason. I guess I like, went down the rabbit hole. They, it's almost like a. I think they're a magazine, but they also have their own awards. They are a magazine, yeah, like a publication house, yeah. Right. So, NME seems to love these guys. They've been nominated nine times. They won every single time they've been nominated, which is funny because when they started back in '92. In their magazine, the reviewer described him as a lily-livered excuse for a rock band. <laughs> and like, then he turned, you think you crossed are? his legs, and took a sip of his tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing better than this. So, yeah, seems like they've done a 180 on that. And then the most important thing for anybody to understand about this band, Cleveland Rocks, they were, not, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. They made it. Right. Because their first album, I'm trying to think, you have to be, it has to be 25 years after your first album. So they were available in 2017. Yeah. So within two or three years, they were nominated, inducted. That's pretty solid, pretty solid showing. Guarantee that Tom Morello helped that happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he likes these guys. All right. Well, now it's uh, time for our... All right, Steve. Kick it off. All right, we got a bunch of random facts about Radiohead. And to be honest, it was really hard to narrow this down because there's a lot of random facts about Radiohead. Let's get to it. Um, so back in their younger days, Tom York and Colin Greenwood ended up in a band together because they both dress terribly. <laughs> they, they were always going to the same parties, and Colin would be wearing a beret and a cat suit <laughs> or something weird. And Tom York would be in something like a frilly blouse and a crushed velvet dinner suit. And they would be passing around Joy Division records. Like, they just became friends because they were <laughs> the outcasts. That's awesome. Which is sometimes all it takes. Yeah, remember early 90s uh, prank phone call kings, the Jerky Boys? Of course. So the album title, Pablo Honey, was inspired by one of their... Pablo, he could take the girl out of Long Island. It was inspired by one of their Pablo. skits in which the prank caller <laughs> says, Pablo, honey... Please come to Florida <laughs> to his victim. <laughs> Man, I don't even think we could have something like the Jerky Boys ever again. Like now we've got caller ID. Like yeah, no, they're they're great, man. They're lost art. Yeah, prank calls were awesome. So Tom York knows that he's glooming and gloomy and depressing. Uh, <laughs> he actually defended it. He said, you know what? I don't want to be surrounded by a world of grinning idiots, and I don't think I want to be another one. Sounds like every libertarian I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, a mysterious number, 142614855, appeared on the cover of the Airbag How Am I Driving EP fan. EP. Um, so fans quickly discovered it to be a pager number, which, if you dialed, revealed the voice of Tom saying, Hello. <laughs> Fans were leaving messages, uh, which the band supposedly kept for possible inclusion in a future recording. Talk about going out and um, really crowdsourcing your project. <laughs> yeah. I mean, leave it up to these guys to drop Easter eggs like that, though. Like, I'm sure there's so much more hidden stuff that goes because you said they, they like to layer stuff. So I'm sure there's like some deep hidden layers in there that have stories behind it that we'll just never even know about. That's crazy. So, Christmas 96, imagine you're 
up in your house and at this point you know you've got some hits under your belt you've got a nice gorgeous yard probably in the shire in the uk he's got a garden pond with a whole school of exotic fish i mean everybody's got something that they spend their millions on right but christmas 96 it got a little cold the pond froze and tom york had a very traumatic christmas experience waking up to all of his frozen fish in the pond. This guy's like an old lady. Like you live in England. Why do you have these exotic fish just sitting outdoors? Like call the call the tank guy and have him put him in little bags <laughs> and fill them inside of a tank. You're rich enough, Tom York. This is this is 96 Tom York, okay? At this point, you're right. He's got a nice house. He's got a good place. What happened is he was young. It's new money. He leaves it outside. He was probably, you know, having a black and tan or something delicious and let it ride. That's pretty hilarious, Wasn't, Steve. That story's not sad at all. I think it's funny album? that he left them outside in England in December. Like, that, who does that? I guess he wasn't really thinking. Maybe, I don't know. He had to, he had to go on tour or something. Nice. Was, didn't they have uh, a track called Little Fishies or something? Um, it's possible. That sounds like a song by Fish. Anyways, in 2001, <laughs> Radiohead were guests on South Park in the devilishly dark episode, Scott Tennerman Must Die. <laughs> yeah, do you remember no. that episode? It was one no. of the best South Park episodes I ever. I don't remember that one. Um, yeah, so Scott Tennerman was like a ninth grader. And you know all the South Park kids were like uh, sixth grade, something like that? Middle schoolers, yeah, they were like sixth, seventh grade. Yeah. So Scott Tennerman, well, Cartman was wanted to find out, about, find out all about puberty. So Scott Tennerman said, oh, all you have to do is eat a pube and puberty happens. <laughs> <laughs> so... Cartman does it, finds out that he's been the subject of a cruel joke. So in true Cartman fashion, he gets his revenge. He found out that Scott Tenderman's favorite band of all time is Radiohead. So he calls up Radiohead. <laughs> he's, he's like, guys, I need you to come over and tell Scott Tenderman how much you hate him. <laughs> <laughs> so Radiohead has a cameo on South Park back in 2001 where they're just like, trash talking this kid Scott Tennerman and then yeah hilarity ensues that's really funny I would I don't remember it but just picturing the band and Tom York coming down on him <laughs> as a cartoon gives me so much joy inside that now I'm gonna have to look it up and, and they do it in such a like very plain way they're just like Scott you're a ter terrible person Scott we hate you <laughs> like it's very dry very deadpan but, yeah, I don't know. South Park has a way of pulling these things off, and it's hilarious. I would expect no less. So, Steve, similar artists and albums. Um, yeah, Adams for Peace, the project um, that came out of it for right. sure. Um, I already said Pink Floyd earlier. That's, that's uh, to me. It, yeah, we've already mentioned a, a lot of different ones here. They have influences from Talking Heads. They're like a softer Pearl Jam. I see that in the similar artists. They're kind of a less heavy version of Pearl Jam in certain aspects. And, and that was just... 90s alternative they were definitely in the same boat when it comes to their genre yeah pearl jam made me want to make me want to kill myself a lot less though but um <laughs> uh, then you haven't paid attention to their lyrics <laughs> the problem is that it's a well-known fact in this podcast if you followed us from day one that steve and i do not like the band coldplay and it's funny <laughs> that we're doing radiohead because if you think about it that's a shittier version of this band is Coldplay. Yeah, Coldplay is just as depressing, but they just don't seem to rock as hard. Anyways, get back on topic. You ever listen to Muse? I love Muse, and and, and that actually, yeah, I see it. 
I see the similarity. Muse is kind of like uh, what is the name of that band that uh, the Pixies. So Muse to me is like mm-hmm. you know Pixies is on the the hard edge of it, and then Radiohead is on the softer edge of it. But they're kind of all in that same family of just super um, repetitive, well orchestrated rock. Mm, yeah. Yep. Sweet. Well, Steve, you know it's time. We've gotten here. The gloves are off. <laughs> it's time for the sucky song of the day. So this song just kind of popped in my head the other day, and I couldn't get it out of my head because it is possibly the most catchy song of all time. And I hate it. It sucks on so many levels. It's a song by the Trash Men. So I mean, the name alone already gives it away. These guys are trash. <laughs> Came out in 1963. It's called Surfing Bird. Yeah, I know. And nobody, you know, if you say Surfing Bird, you're not going to understand it. But all you got to know is, I want everybody singing about the bird. The bird is the bird. God, we just had to say it, didn't we? Now it's stuck in my head again. The The problem is that this song, for me, I learned about it through the Full Metal Jacket soundtrack. So I learned to like it. Oh. Because most of the music okay. on there was trash, and it was the only one that kind of was worth the damn. And that goes to show you how bad that record was. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> then it means the entire album is trash. But um, furthermore, I do think that it is kind of funny that it's a song that made a term, the bird the word. Like, they kind of coined that in 1963 and people would say the bird's the word like they actually made people say it. these guys are kind of like the first versions of uh b- boy bands <laughs> just making stuff up that sticks <laughs> this is before the beatles this is before the british invasion this is like the last vestiges of shitty american rock and roll we got here <laughs> <laughs> right surf music was super hot at the time and it's it's not even their song it's a cover of two it's a mashup actually of two separate songs by the rivingtons Rivingtons were a cool Motown band, like really cool, great harmonies, great beats, like they were awesome. They had a song called Birds the Word. And, you know, it was a simple song, but they said more than just the birds the word. Okay. Like this is so repetitive that it's terrible. <laughs> so that was one of the songs by the Rivingtons. Now, if you listen to Surfin' Bird, the first half, he just keeps saying the bird, the, the bird's the word. Have you heard about the bird? Blah, blah, blah. And then he has this weird breakdown in the middle where he starts talking in tongues. It's like complete gibberish, just making weird noises with his mouth. It's... <laughs> I do remember him at one point saying that. Pow, 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 pow. You're like, what's going on? Well, right. Once you get into the second half of the track, he just sings the same melody. But he says, Papa, ooh, mau, mau, which is another song by the Rivingtons. But at least the Rivingtons knew, again, they made a song about it. They said, it's the funniest sound I ever heard. I couldn't understand a single word. It's not like they just say this gibberish over and over and over again. They actually made up a track about it. So then the trash men come along. They're like, oh, let's take these two songs by the Rivingtons and repeat them over and over and over again until it's stuck in your head for till the end of time. Yeah, I think this guy is like the really raw, unpolished version of the B-52's backup singer. Hello, Shaq! (laughs) (laughs) That guy would have been around for this. He would have totally signed up. If you look at them, they kind of look similar. Big heads, good hair. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just... Yeah. Now, the Ramones... The Ramones did a cover of this song. 
And it was a step in the right direction, but I really don't think that anyone could pull this off and make it into a good song. If anybody could, it would be the Ramones. They'd throw a little punk behind it. It's still a terrible song. Well, anyway, Steve, that's our show. (laughs) So come back and join us next week where we promise to... Not do a 90s band for never making any promises. We might do another one later. But next week, we've already picked the band. Rewind a little bit. You'll figure it out. (laughs) Well, remember to subscribe, share, (laughs) like us on Facebook, and uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Bass Drum Pod. All right, Steve. Peace. Peace. Peace.